Get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me on a surprisingly cool and windy summer day after all the heat and humidity are my good mates, Sixties and Quint. Fellas, the weather's been all over the place, but uh, have you been holding together? Mate, isn't today a sweet, sweet relief after the last uh, 28 and, and 26, that, I think, the, the temperature's been last couple of nights, so nice and warm. Oh, yeah, but those, it's not just, you know, the temperature on those days, it's the humidity. It was, mm. you know, like 80, 90% humidity. I, I popped out to Granville on Sunday and I was doing my best impersonation of BA with the lineup of water bottles <laughs> on the table in front <laughs> Hydro of Hydro homies. Yes, and then uh, Monday popped out to have a look at Eels training in the morning and uh, it was a fairly light session and I could see why it would have been a light session because it was like the air was too thick to breathe. The humidity was so um, so strong. It was just unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, glad of this temperature. And before I uh, get you to throw to Clint, John, I just wanted to do a shout out to one of our listeners uh, Vanessa from New Zealand. Look, it's fantastic when we have our listeners get in touch with us, and uh, we always appreciate that. It's uh, we're humbled by the fact we've got people from uh, different states and and over in New Zealand that enjoy listening to us talk about the the NRL and especially the Parramatta Reels. It's a obviously a, a real labour of uh, uh, passion that we have. Um, for our eels, but getting that sort of feedback is brilliant. So thank you to Vanessa from New Zealand to, for reaching out to us and saying that she enjoys the podcast. And Quint, how are you doing, mate? Well, gentlemen, I've uh, developed a very bad habit over the last couple of weeks, and uh, it, it's a pack-a-day habit. And I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about smoking. I haven't taken that up. I'm talking about Zuper Dupers. I've been absolutely shoveling them down my throat. And it, I find myself today for the first time in the better part of two weeks not having one. And I'm not mad about that. <laughs> what What's what's the favourite flavour or the favourite colour, mate? Well, I don't discriminate because I enjoy them all. But what I will say is that I'm not, I'm not big on the blue ones. Everything else is pretty fair game. I, I, I don't... You know, I might start with a cola. I might start with one of the, I think it's a black currant, the purple one is. I might, um, you know, uh, transition into the orange ones throughout the day. But it's it's always the four blue ones that are remaining. So, yeah, I, I don't discriminate. Well, one of the things that I will say that I enjoyed being able to do was when it was really hot days like it was on Monday and I was teaching, just to, you know, occasionally get the surprise packet of Zupa Dupas for the class. Get one for everyone in the class and hand it out to them. But when it came to the flavours, it was like they all, they'd all they all have a request for their favourite flavour and my response was always the same. 
you're going to get what I hand to you, you and you'll be happy about it. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, fair, and fair's fair. So, yeah, good to see everyone's been managing with the heat and now the uh, the coolness. But before we go any further into the podcast, you guys know what time it is. We're going to give our sponsors a shout-out. Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Rowan, and Parramatta. They're fantastic. You guys know how much they mean to the podcast. So big thanks to them, as we always give. Fellas, let's get right into it. News team, assemble! Fellas, we kick off the Eels news with a little bit of feedback about Eels training in the last few days. I'm really sorry, but there won't be a training report from Monday because, as I said, it was a a pretty light sort of session in the hot conditions. It was skills-based mainly, systems. So they're doing a bit of work around defensive systems and uh, the play around the ruck for the forwards, a bit of uh, catching and kicking skills for the backs. So not really enough that I would put into a training report, but Prior to that, Friday was a fantastic session. It was featured about half an hour of contact. I've written it up in the in the training report that went up on Friday last week. But some of the one of the most interesting battles is that battle for the centre position between Bailey Simonson and Morgan Harper, and it really became harder to work out what's going to happen in that battle after last Friday because early early on I thought maybe Morgan Harper had stepped ahead of Bailey Simonson and might win the spot and uh, then we had Bailey Simonson since the new year started has, has been going great guns at training in that position is uh, looks as fast as I've ever seen him look uh, very, very sharp in his play. And consequently, he, to me, looked like maybe he had the run, he was had the inside run to get that spot. And then last Friday, uh, Morgan Harper had one of the, the better sessions that I've seen of anyone at, at centre, uh, starting off for the New South Wales Cup team and then also alternating into the NRL team. It's something that does happen at training where players get a bit of time at the NRL spot as well as the New South Wales Cup spot. So that's why it's you can't ever be sure what's going to happen with um, selecting positions. But, yeah, he just had a fantastic session. But the other thing that was worth noting was uh, the leadership of, uh, of Morgan Harper and also Luca Moretti, where when the New South Wales Cup team were huddled together and uh, people were talking, they were the two who were doing a lot of talking. So uh, it's interesting from that leadership perspective because firstly, you've got a relatively experienced player in Morgan Harper, but he's new to the club. And then you've got someone like Luca Moretti, who's really just only just had his first taste of NRL experience, but obviously saw it was important with all the younger players that were there that, he takes a bit of a leadership role within that group. So I always like to see at training, who are the people that do the talking 
who's stepping up to the plate and really encouraging and um, giving advice to the players that are there. So uh, last season, uh, Josh Hodgson was doing a lot of that in the preseason. And I know people were disappointed with how the season turned out for him. But let me tell you, he he had quite an amazing preseason, was a real leader in the group. And uh, and I think that's now reflected in the role that he has within the club, in the pathway system that they've uh, that they've got him in there and providing guidance for the young players. Um, anyway, that's about where we're at with Eels training. We're getting closer to that first trial. And uh, that will probably mean that next week, the training will be very much focused on an opponent. So it might be very difficult for me to actually write reports next week, but we'll see what happens with their preparations. But um, yeah, that, that covers us for uh, training. But uh, boys, last weekend, we were back into the footy. Mm-hmm. So pure footy heads like us, it was um, it was like Christmas, even though it wasn't the uh, NRL, it was getting some quality games of football because junior representative football can be quality games of football. And uh, John, you blogged those matches for the Cumberland Throw across both Saturday and Sunday. So can you, for our listeners that maybe aren't quite aware, can you run through the scores and your takes on the matches? Yeah, contrasting fortunes in the junior representatives for the Parramatta Eels in the first week, the first round of play. Like you mentioned, 60 split round. The uh, two female pathways teams, Lisa Fiola and Tash Gale, taking on the Bulldogs at Belmore. Oh, that was on Saturday, and then on Sunday, Eels hosting the new faces on the well, the new kids on the block, and the New Zealand Warriors in the Harold Matthews and SG Ball out at Eric Tweedale Stadium, which is Granville slash Marylands. Um, so, it's, uh, yeah, Granville Park, but it's on the border of Marylands, so I'm not sure what its official designation is. Uh, but yeah, the the boys' games were uh, well, Harold Matthews' game was of extremely high quality. We we'll get to that shortly, but. In the uh, Lisa Fiola, Eels went down 36-10. to uh, We suspected the Bulldogs were going to be heavyweights in this grade 60s. They were outstanding in the Tashgal last year, having recruited very strongly. And uh, it's no surprises that they came out in Lisa Fiola looking very, very sharp. 36-10 was the scoreline. Uh, the Dogs scored seven tries to Parramatta's two with Nikita Air, or Air, sorry, the winger, bagging a double. And uh, she was a real silver lining in this contest, I thought, 60s. Uh, the Eels... Struggled for possession, struggled to get through their sets. That was the case in the Tash Gale as well. But Nikita found herself in space on two occasions. One was when we were in possession uh, initially with a backline move down the left edge where she just showed a clean set of heels to race half the length of the field and score. On the other one, it was a kick return. They went, the dogs went along the ground and had a bit of a fractured uh, kick chase and she just beat the first two defenders and then no one was getting close to her. She went about 80 metres a score, uh, showed some rapid pace, so that was good to see, but... Yeah, it was a, r- a rough first outing for the Eels. They really struggled to get through their sets. Didn't have the, the rhythm and the consistency to go toe-to-toe with the Dogs. And it must be said that the Dogs had a formidable team in terms of their physicality and size. Uh, they had a couple of menacing props that did a lot of damage. Uh, I think it was uh, Giovanna Suani was outstanding for the Dogs in number 10, uh, as well as their left center, who was an absolute mountain of a young lady. So a big team for the Dogs, uh, able to capitalize on their opportunities. And unfortunately, to the Eels' detriment, they ran away with the win. Much the same in the Tash Gale, where the Eels lost 32 to 4. Uh, Caitlin Pearden alone, try scorer for the Parramatta Eels. Dogs scoring 6 to 1 in terms of the tries. And yeah, this this was just a rough day for our girls. They really struggled with completion rates. New South Wales Rugby League don't provide official completion rates, I believe, do they? Uh, they do. Uh, the Eels pegged at 65%. So 
that's uh, probably better. Oh, I'm, I'm, if I can just jump, I mean that that also surprises me because um, it, it, they were really struggling with uh, completions. And uh, mm-hmm. can I just throw in there as well? You mentioned uh, Nikita E. You know, she's given space this year. If they can create space, oh, for she, she's her, a weapon on that wig. Yeah, she flies like like quite like the you know, Nikita Air, Nikita Wind, pretty much. You know, she uh, goes like the wind. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, in the in the Tashgal 60s, the possession was 61% in favour of the Bulldogs, which obviously plays out on the scorecard. Um, we knew that the Dogs were going to be strong in this grade. They were outstanding, along with the uh, Sydney Roosters and Indigenous Academy. They were the two clear-cut best teams in the competition in 2023, and it looks like the Dogs are going to be one of the benchmark teams again in 2024. Well, I, I want to ask you this question mm-hmm. uh, with from my observations of the game. was I, I thought that the Eels did create opportunities and you know it was those errors were they were really punished for those now i'm not going to back away from the fact that just the way the game unfolded and the dominance of the bulldogs that they ended up facing what looked like a passive defensive line so that and what i mean by that is that the the defenders were were staying um, back at the at their line rather than moving up, and you know that sort of thing tends to happen once fatigue gets kicks in, and the other team's got a lot of possession and what have you. But um, I, as I said, I thought we created some opportunities and maybe had the chance to get the Bulldogs on the back foot, but those errors just crueled them. And yep, um, you know, once you waste the op- opportunities that. Um, a, a team like the Bulldogs is going to put a score on you when they're when they're given that op- when they're given the the ball in um, you know prime real estate. Yeah, agreed. Um, the, this team in this game, there were glimmers of the talent you could see. We we know that Pearden and Tui in the centres are both phenomenal young talents. Lizzie's always played NRLW, um, but we didn't get the ball to her on Saturday. Um, that happens when you're getting dominated in possession and territory. Uh, likewise, in the halves, yeah. I thought Perigo and Halmano both ran the ball well. Uh, but just didn't have the opportunities to build, you know, the pressure and and the completions that it takes to you know start to put a stranglehold on a team like the Bulldogs. Uh, in the middle, I thought that Dimmick, Mahe, and Arlo all had their moments of really good carries, but then got a bit guilty of pushing some second phase play. The Dogs were able to pounce on them ball and get some turnovers. So it's not it's not like you know it's complete doom and gloom here. There's pieces in this team that already have shown some potential. It's just a matter of coming together. You know, getting to the getting back to the game plan, getting through your sets, and I know it's cliche, but there is a reason why it is a regularly cliche. Going set for set and getting through your completions is going to put you in good stead to compete. And arguably, they drew an opponent which should be the toughest yeah. opponent to. Yeah, have outside of the Roosters, I don't think it gets much worse. So, yeah, and you're you're playing away yeah. from home round one uh, in the heat, so it, it's it was a very difficult draw for round one, and they're going to you'd like to think learn from this game in both the Fiola and the Gale. Uh, but yeah, tough draw. All you can do now is pick yourself up and get onto round two. Yeah, absolutely right. And, the and uh, then of course we had those the boys on Sunday. Yeah, on the flip side, the Eels posting two wins in the Matthews and Ball. Uh, this one was out at Eric Twidale Stadium, and they were taking on the New Zealand Warriors, who have always had a strong junior system, but never featured in the junior reps. So this is a, a big step forwards for the game. Getting the Warriors incorporated into the junior pathway is good to see. Um, and yeah, there's a big question mark about what sort of team or teams the Warriors are going to be able to put out 60s 
And I, I got to say, I was fairly. I know the scoreline in the mats in particular doesn't reflect it, but I was impressed by both the teams the Warriors had on the park. And in the mats game, the thirty-four to six scoreline really isn't indicative of how good the contest was for a large mm. stretch of this game. I thought the Warriors acquitted themselves very well. Uh, but this Harold Matthews team for the Eels is one that you'd flagged as having a bit of potential 60s, and I think we saw that. Um, it's a big, yeah, big athletic they, they back looked, line. They, yep. They they looked really good in the trials. And, um, yeah, I think they've got... I think they've got the potential to go deep into uh, the season. Well, it's certainly into the playoffs. And... Uh, the middles, mate. The, oh, the platform that they lay. They've got is, a. Uh, and I look at the bench with guys like Pacotti, Fenene, and Noah, who didn't get much of a chance to shine because there was a quartet of other middles, uh, fronted by, in particular, Ocean Vivella and Ryder Talangi, who was the younger brother of Blaze. Those two, and I thought that Leviticus, Funaraguda, and Mason Ong were also very good, but those two, Talangi and Vivella, were. I don't even think Fearson begins to describe how good they were. Uh, they were violent, physical, direct. Everything you love to see from a young bookend, uh, they delivered in spades. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was um, – and I thought they they got quite a lot of minutes too. I, I, big I big minutes for Ryder and, and Vivella. Ocean, yeah, yeah. I actually liked how the coach approached this by staggering the, the, the deployment of them. Ryder started – uh, Leviticus Funarayuda, who was slated to start the game on the interchange, actually came into the starting rotation, which then led Ocean Vivello coming into the game from where he was originally meant to start, but then playing huge minutes. And uh, you know that allowed the Eels to maintain tempo. Uh, and it's something we, we talk about a lot in terms of rugby league is the importance of those middle rotations because you can start with two stellar bookends, but then when they both come off the park, you lose momentum. You lose tempo. You lose you know just an impetus in the game. And when Ocean came on, the Eels are able to go up another gear, and and the violence of his like just attack in defense. I mean, he's, he's a dominant ball runner, but he loves to ring bells in defense. So he had an outstanding game. I thought the halves were very composed. I think Talon Rosati is a year young, I believe. He's, he's in his junior year of eligibility. He did a good job alongside Lincoln Fletcher, um, and in the back line, um, Anders Johansson was a I hadn't seen him yet sixties, but he's big and physical. Scored a great individual try for tap restart. Uh, and then the player who I've been waiting to see for quite some time, and while he wasn't without a couple of errors, I thought showed incredible raw like potential was the fullback Cyrus Bloomfield, who uh, scored, a, I think he bagged a double in the end, but the first try was off a scrum, and I wouldn't even call it a set piece. They just took it left to him, and he just he hit the, the Jets and just completely eviscerated the front line of the Warriors. So very, very good start for the Eels. They played fantastic brand of football, but on the flip side, the, the Warriors, the scoreboard did not, really flatter the effort they put on the field. I thought uh, across the park, they were very strong. I liked their fullback, Ratcliffe. He had a couple of really good touches. Um, and in the forwards, up against that formidable Parramatta platform, they, they aimed up. They you know went, uh, I wouldn't say hammer and tong, but they were very physical and uh, delivered a really good game. You know, the what I would have said after watching the game was that Warriors team is going to trouble some opponents this year. And once they start to build those combinations and I guess get used to the travel as well. I, I know they're traveling the day before they're traveling on a Saturday and being drawn to play on Sundays uh, when they're here. So it makes that, uh, I mean, once they settle into what's expected of them in that regard, I think they're going to be a, a tougher opponent. Mm-hmm. They had what seemed a, a bit of local support there as well. It was, 
it was quite a good crowd out there at Granville Park, um, well, Eric Tweedale Stadium on uh, Sunday. Very vocal, too. Very vocal crowd. And the setup there with the uh, the one main stand that's there that accommodated most of the spectators, although there were spectators that were scattered around the stadium, but the one main stand, it made for a really good atmosphere at the game. But um, oh. uh, again, spirited would be the word you'd also describe um, for how the Warriors were in the SG ball as well. Yes, and just quickly, I forgot to mention, try scorers in that game, Anders Johansson, Cyrus Bloomfield, Ocean Vivella, Michael Nauer, Samuel Polly, and Lorima Rokosuka. Fletcher went five from six off the tee, so good scoring if there from the boys. And then, like you said, in the ball 60s, this one was a, a very close contest up until the, the final exchanges with the Eels bagging a few tries in the uh, very end of the contest. 32 to 20 winners for the blue and gold, but Warriors actually had the ascendancy for a good portion of this game. Um, we started off with Muhammad Al-Madin scoring in the fifth minute, and then uh, Dom Farouge attacking on a penalty goal to go for his conversion to give the Eels an early 8-0 lead. But then the Warriors struck back of a couple of tries, leading to a pretty seesawing contest. And uh, it was tries to Talatina, a second to Alamedin, then Seb Piacala and Dom Farouge that uh, got the Eels over the line. Uh, Dom kicking five from five for the tries. He missed a penalty goal from just the right of the uprights. That would have taken the Eels to a two-score lead uh, with just minutes to play. But naturally... Eagles were going to score from the 20-meter restart, and he would have just absolutely smashed the conversion from the sideline. So that uh, it, it's funny, isn't it, in NRL, when even with someone like Luke Burton pass, you'd see a great goal kicker get that kick that's just offset to the posts and uh, end up making a bit of a meal of it. But Dom is a sharpshooter off the tee and redeemed himself not too long after, which is good to see. Uh, and yeah. Doesn't. I was just going to add, doesn't he look every bit of an NRL oh, prospect? Oh, he, he just screams NRL prospect, yeah. Dom, fantastic young kid, runs like the wind. He's big, he's athletic, the prototypical modern NRL winger. And yeah, the fact that he uh, doesn't just kick goals, he bludgeons goals uh, is another big feather in his gap. He's got one of the biggest boots I've seen in terms of just off the tee. He strikes it so sweetly. Uh, yeah, but this game, when you sort of boil it down, boys, it wasn't pretty. There were a lot of mistakes. Uh, they have the Eels. I haven't actually got team stats up for this one, unfortunately. Um, I, I can't imagine the Eels' completion rate would be too kind when you're looking at it in that regard. But uh, to their credit, they stayed in the contest. Uh, the Warriors had a couple of very talented players here. The fullback, Pasakala, the halves pairing of Sorek and uh, Winatana Padalesio were testing the Eels constantly. Um, and yeah, they, they made the Eels work hard for this win. But to their credit, uh, even when things were tough and they were making a meal of a few things, they stayed the course. They uh, they got their sort of sleeves rolled up and got to work. Um, I thought the forwards tried really hard in the later parts of the contest. Seb Piocala, who was a second-year SG ball player, I thought he was very good in the middle. Um, the the two back rowers, Funara Yuta and Lakeni, had a couple of miscues with their respective halves on the edges, but when they did get the ball, they looked dangerous. Uh, in terms of the back line, uh, I thought that uh, Muhammad Al-Madin and Dom Farouge were very good. Uh, Kakoy and Vivella didn't get as many invo- as many quality moments as they would have liked, but still had some good touches. And uh, the halves, Talatine and Brett all did the job. So, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't a pretty game. It wasn't one they're going to go and look to for, you know, sort of coaching tape in terms of you did it perfect here, that's how you're going to do it again. But got the job done. And then round one on, you know, a hot and testing day, that's as, uh, as good as any sort of win you're going to get when all is said and done. Yeah, I, I really want to give a shout out to Mohamed Alamadine. I thought he, I thought he was uh, really good on the wing, and 
Uh, just a question for you, fellas, with uh, what you saw of him. Does he look bigger? Yeah, he like he, a significantly bigger than last year. He wasn't. He wasn't exactly a, you know tiny fellow last year, but he's definitely filled in a bit. Um, he's always played well. He was a winger two. Sorry, he was a fullback two years removed in the Harold Matthews, but made the jump to wing last year. And I thought he made that transition fantastically last year. Played physically back then, and now plays even more physical, which is what you love to see from a winger. Um, he showed uh, some good nous on the cutbacks to get over the line, uh, and yeah, and does plenty of hard work. So I thought he had a very good game. Yeah. So um, Clint is. I mean, can you make judgments on what the team is, what their fortune in a season is going to be from the first round? And the reason that I ask that is in a nine-round competition, they have to strike some level of form reasonably early. If you if you start the season with, say, three losses, your back's up against the wall like straight away. Um, I mean, do you, what, what can we draw any line from, do you think, from what happened with the girls and, and likewise what happened with the boys uh, this weekend? Do we get... Do we feel pessimistic um, on one hand, overly optimistic on the other hand? Is it too early? Do we, you know, um, just look at last week and go, okay, it's the start. Start of the season's been, you know, been and gone. Now let's see how they settle into round two, round three, and so on. Yeah, I think most importantly, um, from the boys' perspective as, as opposed to the girls' perspective, they got the points and they got the win. Um, and, and that's what you want to be doing in, in a limited round competition. But that being said, you also want to be looking out for moments, you know, little little things in individual contests and, and how players are, are looking in those moments because it's something that you can use to roll into the, the, the next week. And, um, you know, it, it, it's also important for the confidence of those players because, you know, the boys in particular coming up against the Warriors who would have been an absolute unknown quantity to everyone. It's not like there would have been video available like there had been on probably uh, a lot of the other teams in those grades from from um, from years gone by and, and, and also trials um, leading into the opening round. But, you know, um, it, it, it serves as a good confidence booster for both um, the mats and the ball to, to have um, have those victories. For the girls, you know, as, as you gents um, quite rightly said, you know, they came up against uh, a side or sides who have been um, notably strong performers in these grades for the past couple of years. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure from their perspective, it would be about being as competitive as you can. And as I said before, you know, winning some of those little little battles um, in the middle of the game so that you can use that as a, as a platform and hopefully a confidence builder to, to take into the following weeks, you know. Um, ultimately, results are what matters in, in a limited round competition. It matters in, um, in, in uh, all grades, right? Uh, I'm not saying anything innovative there, but it is important, um, you know, above all else to have uh, come out of it, regardless of whether you have the re- result round one or not, that you come out of it going, Yep, we're going to be competitive this year. We can stick it to someone on our day. And, you know, while the ball, you know, for the girls didn't fall their way and for the guys, um, it, it did, uh, regardless of those results, it's hopefully a, a launch pad for them all. Yeah, and I'll, I'll come out of that first weekend and say completions. Mm. Complete the sets and it 
makes things so much easier. And, and again, that's no genius commentary in saying that, but it was there for all to see on the weekend that the problems arise around incomplete sets. And I want to throw in as well that the under-16s development squad had a match against the North Sydney Bears and they scored, uh, the Eels scored two tries in the first 10 minutes and looked like they were just going to slice the Bears to pieces and then completions became very difficult for some reason. And the Bears fought back. They just kept, uh, and, you know, their completions weren't necessarily that much better, but they fought back and eventually in the final 20 minutes edged ahead by three tries to two. There were no kicks for goal taken in that match. And then with about two seconds left on the clock, the Eels scored under the posts in literally the final play of the day. And it ended up three tries all. But, yeah, again, it came down to completions. We saw that with uh, the girls' pathway matches. Completions were an issue. Um, the completions were really good in the mats. And the completions were a bit of an issue until probably that last 15 minutes and the SG ball. And as soon as we started completing the sets, what do you know? It all came together. and. The Eels piled on tries towards the end. So they can get the completions much better this week. They're going to go a long way towards being able to back up either a win or reverse a loss. So, uh, fellas, that uh, moves us from a wrap of the junior reps. And I'll uh, remind people as well that we've got in this episode, uh, before we the NRL season starts, We'll be incorporating the junior reps into the preview, uh, in, uh, junior reps preview into the news podcast. Once the NRL season starts, we'll include the uh, junior reps preview in the NRL preview as well. So for now, uh, we'll move that um, preview for junior reps to the latter part of the podcast and we'll bring you the team lists and our takes on what's going to happen in those games. But we're going to now move on with the Eels news. Uh, 40, a message from the chairman sent out to Eels members, that being um, Sean McElduff getting his chairman's message out to members. Uh, very important message, I thought, mate. Yeah, it was on three fronts, uh, three major fronts, being the uh, financial performance of the Parramatta Leagues Club, the governance and stability, which includes some of the future planning for the club as well, as well as the league's club election, something we did mention in the most recent podcast. Make sure you vote, regardless of who it is. Make sure you exercise your constitutional right and vote. Uh, but yeah, uh, largely good news. 60s talking about the financial performance. Then there is a link to the league's club annual report if anyone wants to look at the particulars. Uh, but uh, yeah, and that also that that actually includes the performance of the eels. Because the Parramatta Leagues Club, as the um, owner of the of the um, the franchise, uh, the NRL franchise, they're the Parramatta Leagues Group. So, uh, need to point out that in that annual report, it's got the financial performance for both the Leagues Club and the Football Club included uh, within that. So you can get the individual details on on both there. So and and the. The football club is now churning over a profit uh, each year so that they are 
uh, I guess they're not relying on a league's club grant. Self-sufficient, for, exactly, which is a, yeah, they are a rarity, self-sufficient. bit of a rarity in the NRL. Um, and that's all the more important that they're doing that because that then opens up opportunities for, for future investment. And Correct. You know, it's part of the reason why we've been able to um, at least partly fund some of the work that's happening, uh, obviously in partnership with uh, the local, state and federal government uh, with our new Centre of Excellence built, currently being undertaken at um, Kellyville Park. Yeah, and, and while the profitability and the fact that both the PLC and the the league's uh, team itself, the sorry, the NRL component of the, the team is profitable, is a big uh, positive for fans. I think the most important part coming out of this is the uh, clarification that the final stage of funding for the Kellyville Precinct upgrade has been greenlit, uh, which I think I think it totals in the other parts of the upgrade included. I think it's $53 million now. So it's a pretty significant investment from both the Eels and New South Wales government uh, into the Kellyville Precinct, the Kellyville Park facility. Um, and then once it's completed, I think they're talking about uh, housing 700-plus athletes and staff uh, in terms of uh, the local district and the Parramatta Eels. So it's going to be a real gem, uh, not just for the Parramatta Eels, but for rugby league and sports in general in the west of Sydney. And, um, yeah, really good news to see. But it's, uh, while it's not in the final stages of completion, it's, in the final st- it's past the final stage of funding. So uh, really, really good news there, boys. Yeah, and can I just say as well that uh, going there and watching the uh, what has mo- mostly been excavation. They're now at the stage where they're putting the pilings in. So, you know, they're digging down, they're getting all the um, the concrete and the metalwork that goes into uh, the pilings of the uh, at the uh, base of the construction. So um, it's, yeah, but man, is there some dirt that's there? Like the <laughs> excavation, that's like they're they're building mini mountains there. There was uh, the other day the digger was there, and it was pulling dirt up higher onto the onto the mound. And I'm thinking, well, I, I'm wondering what it is. It makes me wonder whether that because in keeping the what's been dug up there, rather than just putting it straight into trucks and on their way, that they actually have uh, piles of that. Whether that's then going to be used in um you know maybe leveling uh out what's there whether it might be used in uh, in some way in the landscaping that's around it um yeah but uh it is it is moving along it's meant to be i think a 12 to 14 month project so i think it's scheduled for completion around january february in 2025 so it will be be a game changer for the eels that's for sure because not only will you have the uh, permanent center of excellence there the the construction with all the the whiz bang stuff in it but uh and and i believe uh, like a a little bit of an eels museum in there but you'll also have uh the match day facility there the the grandstand and dressing sheds and uh playing fields for uh, the uh, what will be for lower grades, um, possibly stage some NRLW games there um, if they're not at um, Eric Tweedale Stadium. So maybe some trial games as well might get staged there. So it's yeah, it's a real game changer, and there won't be another club in the NRL, um, and I'm not sure there's any other clubs in professional football 
in Australia that won't just have a centre of excellence, but because a lot of clubs have their centre of excellence, but there are five fields in the complex. And I don't know that there's too many other sports clubs that have a centre of excellence, a match a match day stadium uh, and five football fields for uh, training and playing on as, you know, as well as the community centre that will be part of the uh, build there. So, yeah, excellent. And, of course, mate, the other news from Sean McElduff's uh, message was, of course, for Parramatta Leagues Club members, the eligible Leagues Club members, that means like being a member, I think, for three years making sure they use their uh, vote. Yes. Get out there and vote. Exercise your it's, constitutional right. Vote. Whether absolutely. It's electronically absolutely. or in person or in mail, whatever the options are, make sure you get it done and make sure that you have your say on the future of the club. So, yeah, nothing, yeah, absolutely. nothing too crazy yeah. there. Just, uh, Don't. Yeah, the, the more people that vote, the, the more the representative mm-hmm. the result is mm-hmm. of the wishes of members. And, you know, you you only ever have problems with these sorts of things if you only get a couple hundred votes. And uh, uh, what we obviously want with all the, the tens of thousands of members that are there is having thousands of votes registered. And they've been getting thousands, but they want thousands more to exactly. vote. The more people that vote, as I said, the more representative it is of the wishes of members. So, um, yeah, fellas, that uh, just about brings us to uh, the end of Eels news. The only other thing was we we saw that the Eels have um, stepped up their cyber security uh, with um, uh, partnering with uh, Arctic Wolf uh, for their uh, the leagues uh, the Parramatta groups uh, cyber security and and I guess these days with so many transactions that happen electronically. And so much communication with the the database of members at both the Eels and the uh, Leagues Club that cybersecurity in this day and age, it just has to be a a priority. So uh, we had that announcement from the the Eels that that they partnered with Arctic Wolf. So that's just a little bit of admin news that has come in there. And as we finish with our Eels section of the podcast – You know what time it is, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. It's time for our intermission music as you all go off and get ready to grab a drink or go to the loo or whatever you do when we uh, get to this point in the podcast. And Forty comes up with a little bit of something special for us to listen to. Lay it on us, mate. Well, as it happened to be, I was uh, watching a movie of my old man on the weekend after the Junior Reps had concluded on Sunday and it was a rewatch of his favourite film of all time. Now, given that he's a Italian Sicilian who immigrated to Australia, I don't think it's a stretch of <laughs> imagination to to guess what his favourite film might be. And of course, it is The Godfather. Uh, so, <laughs> it is a cinematic classic. And as a part of a that cinematic classic makeup, there is an incredible uh, score to it. And one of the songs, the iconic song "Parla Più Piano" or "Speak Softly," uh, it's timeless. But uh, that led me to like to sort of remember that a long time ago I sort of uh, stumbled on a reinterpretation, a rearrangement, a sort of a crossover of Paolo Pipiano in a in a different style, and it was very catchy, and I, I really enjoyed it. So, 
coming to you in the sort of tone of a 1920s speakeasy is uh, Speak Softly, My Love. That was done by Fiddly, the Speakeasies, who haven't got that much content in terms of songs, but that is an absolute uh, cracker. Well, John, I don't know how you dive down some of these rabbit holes, but you've done it again. And maybe something that impressed me even more than the music was your Italian, as you gave the name of that musical piece. Can you repeat it again? Parla più piano. Yeah, speak softly. Oh, the, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, a... the inflections there, mate. There's there's probably some uh, ladies out there who enjoy hearing a man speak another language who are swooning well, at your if, pronunciation. If anyone, if anyone wants to hear me speak in, bro- speak in broken Italian or broken Sicilian, I can uh, gladly oblige. But, yeah, growing up as a – well, technically an Italian-Australian, but only really learning Australian because of my locale out in uh, – regional New South Wales I wasn't with the vast majority of the Italian branch of my family Uh, it was funny sort of learning Sicilian and then learning the difference in the dialects uh, between Italian and Sicilian how sometimes it's almost like two different languages even though it's one country so uh, yeah there are some funny dialects in Italy and uh, yeah uh, my old man being a a, you know full-blooded Italian Sicilian uh, takes pride in Sicily's pseudo-independence so they do love their, their, their dialect and whatnot. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, uh, very fortunate to have the uh, background I have in terms of my parents. So I certainly appreciate the Italian side. It's uh, a blessing. Well, well, we always enjoy getting requests coming in as well. So maybe we can extend that. There might be someone out there who's got a piece of music from another culture out in the world that they'd like you to dive into. If you have a, some musical piece that you'd like john to include in our intermission in our interludes there make sure you get in touch with us if not well you can rely on john's dives into those rabbit holes of uh music gone by to keep us entertained okay fellas we now move on to nrl news and the first piece of news is ezra mam has inked a massive new deal with the Broncos, 40. Yeah, uh, long being speculated across the off-season as to a matter of when, not if it would happen. But they've uh, re-signed him on, what, five years, I believe it is, uh, in excess of... Uh, Huge. Uh, in excess of $3 million. I don't know if we've actually got the precise financial details, um, but if it, is in that, if it is in that vicinity, I think the Broncos have got themselves a pretty good deal if it is... Close to the three million that is to anything else. I'm just trying to see if I can find particulars here. If that's the case, that's a Broncos deal of old. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Given that you'd say the market for a young half of his caliber would be seven eight hundred pretty comfortably, seven eight hundred k per. Mm. Um, if they've gotten him on a six, sorry, a six hundred k five year deal, essentially, that would be very very good for their uh, long term prospects. Would you say a deal like that would have any clauses built into it about renegotiating or, or having incentives built in as those years move on? Or, you know, do you think he's just going to be looked after 
uh, because he'll be a high-profile Broncos player. It's it is so hard it's a to bit of pull A and pull B, right? Yeah, isn't it? Like it's so hard to gauge the structure of contracts in the modern era because once upon a time they used to be fairly incentive laden, where you know you get a good base deal, but then making Origin or making Australia or New Zealand, whatever the respective international caliber squad was, would you know invoke certain bonuses, but. I feel like these days we've moved away from a lot of the heavy incentives. Like you still get incentives, but the base contract is just enriched. So yeah, there's a report here saying that it's uh, the deal could be worth over four four hundred four hundred four million dollars, which would put him much more into the bracket that we sort of speculated at eight hundred k per. Um, but yeah, I mean, given the market we're seeing for some of these young talents and the premium that clubs just have to pay, whether it's getting a hometown discount or not. I wouldn't be surprised if the base value of that contract uh, is closer to the notional value rather than uh, away from it. Well, you'd have to think, the given that most contracts are heading north, especially when you're talking about playmakers, uh, play, players that are in the spine, if, if we are getting the elite that are getting up around that million-dollar mark now and... Uh, and north of that, in three years, someone like him would be wanting to, and this is assuming he continues on his path that he's taken so far, but he, he was absolutely dynamic, especially in the latter half of uh, 2023. Mm-hmm. Clint, is there any is there any risk for the Broncos in a deal like that, or is it all upside for signing someone who is... Uh, of the talent that Ezra Mam looks like he is, and I mean, I I think he's, I think there's no one in doubt that no one would have any doubts that he's a talented player. Um, but is there a risk that it might be similar to a Jerome Luai in that he hasn't directed a team around the field? He's been able to play that maybe more traditional five eight role. Well, firstly, there's a risk in any deal because anything can happen at any given point in time. Um, you know, and I, I think the first time, at least in the NRL era, that um, these five-year deals really got a lot of attention and scrutiny. You just remember in 2008 when Terry Campisi for the Canberra Raiders had an absolute breakout year and he made the Australian side and um, he was absolutely dynamic for Canberra. And then for the next three years uh, that followed that, I think he barely... Uh, got past 10 games maximum per year. I'm, I'm sure we have a listener who will be able to do a quick um, quick search on that and quote me on that is probably not being correct. But, you know, it certainly felt that way because he was in and out of the injury ward um, nonstop for the duration of that contract. Um, so, you know, there's, there's always a risk in, in any deal. And it doesn't even have to be a long, long-term one because, as I said, anything can happen at a given point in time. But to echo your sentiments there, 60s, yeah, you know, like for me, he hasn't, he, he, he does fall into that Jerome Luai category in that he hasn't taken control of the game and he hasn't, um, you know, really stamped his authority as the dominant playmaker. He certainly had dominant moments as a ball runner. We saw as such um, in the NRL grand final where he scored t- um, two really good tries. So, um, you know, it was, it was, it was instrumental in, in the Broncos asserting themselves before Penrith eventually ran them down. But, um you know, and he had plenty of moments like that throughout the year. But I, I'm always cautious and hesitant with forking out money for these types of halves who haven't quite asserted themselves um, 
you know, uh, I, I guess as a dominant player, because you, you, obviously Adam Reynolds only has um, a, a limited um, time left in the NRL. He's certainly at the back end of his career. This investment suggests that, at least from a halves perspective, Brisbane see him as the successor, maybe not necessarily the halfback successor, but he's certainly the leader within the halves um, after Adam retires. So, you know, you, you'd, you'd hope from a Brisbane perspective, and if you're a Brisbane fan, um, that he will start to assert himself a little bit more. But, you know, from an Eels fan perspective, selfishly, um, I'm not going to say short and fruit and that I, I, I hope that he fails, but uh, it's within my interest as an Eels fan that he doesn't succeed against us. Yeah. <laughs> and, and look, I guess the thing is, what they've basically announced is he they see him as one of the key players to continue to build the team around. Mm. And uh, they're going to... He, he'll be, in essence, one of the anchors of their roster when they're if you've got a player that's locked up for the next six years and and on that on that level of money right yeah that's right that's right so it's uh it's an investment it's something then that they're they're looking to uh as i said build a a team around and now they've obviously got such a strong team already and locking someone up who's in this strong team who's seen as one as the key one of the key players I guess they think it ensures their a strong future. Uh, moving on from the Broncos, Joey Manu is coming off contract and the speculation won't go away that he might be prepared to dabble in a game that he played as a younger bloke, being rugby union, and he hasn't done anything to settle that down by declaring it's something that he be prepared to look at and that he wants it all finalised by the time uh, you get to that first round. Um, John, is this all about getting as much coin as he can out of the Roosters? Because he's, he said he's not prepared to play against the Roosters. So is this just contract talk or do you think he's full on serious about going to rugby union and maybe getting a shot, getting a shot at being an all black. Uh, I'm fairly confident at this stage, given what we've seen in recent times and even going back a bit beyond that, that any remotely talented NRL player is coached by their manager when pressured by the media to ask about a potential union swap to say that they keep their options open. There are mm-hmm. very few, if any that have ever, you know, shut the book and, and completely said, no, I'm committed to rugby league, not just in rugby union, uh, because by doing so, you're essentially hurting your bargaining power. So that, that's just a very mm-hmm. you know sort of fundamental part of the negotiating process. The, as much as I hate to use the term, but the art of the deal. Um, and yeah, so no <laughs> no surprise that Joey Manu has uh, kept those options open. Um, would he make the jump? I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, the the money that we've seen the ARU in particular be willing to splash out and lavish on rugby league players, whether it was going back to Wendell Saylor and Matt Rogers and Lottie Takiri way back in the day, and more recently, obviously, Joseph Swali'i. Um, yeah, I, I could see him getting essentially the equivalent of a golden handshake from the ARU or another party like that, if it's European rugby or Japanese rugby. It depends on what sort of competition he wants to you know, bring himself to, whether he wants to chase a title or a prestigious title in rugby union. But yeah, by the same token... 
I, I think he'll stay off rugby league. Um, but he might have missed his window to maximise his value. Um, I think by staying with the Roosters when he did, he might have... I, I know the cap goes up and there's always a you know a suitor somewhere, but it felt like he was at the peak of his powers last time he, he was off contract. Um, he, he had the sort of air about him that he was the best player or thereabouts in the game. Um, and now when he comes off contract or, you know, if he chooses to go to the free market, I don't know. Um, I, I think he'll stay in rugby league, but I would not be shocked if he got a great deal in union. So, I mean, I love watching Joey. Um, and, and again, if you're talking selfishly from an Eels perspective, if he's not in the code, that's obviously better for us than being on the Roosters. Uh, but, yeah, if I had the tip, I'd say he sticks around in the code. Not sure if it's the Roosters, but most likely. I have a different question for you about this, Clint, which is when we see players like Joey Manu and uh, Dylan Brown's been asked similar questions or opinions on this, and it comes up about, you know, t- pulling on an All Blacks jersey. And I think to myself, I know how much the All Blacks jersey is revered over in New Zealand. Is it disrespectful for players who are playing rugby union in New Zealand who might be incumbents in the All Blacks or maybe fringe players in the All Blacks for a player who's playing rugby league to say, yeah, I'd like to switch to rugby union and play for the All Blacks. Because to me, it feels like it's almost putting the cart before the horse. And, mm. you know, it's all very well to have ambitions, but I would think that if anyone's making a, a comment that isn't disrespectful, that they might be likely to say something along the lines of, I'd like to be able to go and try to prove myself in rugby union. And then if the opportunity came, it would have been, like it would be an honour to be able to pull on an All Blacks jersey, but there would be a long way to go before I could say that that is, you know, something that I would be able to achieve. Do do you see it as disrespectful or or do you just take it as, um, okay, they're just answering a question or they're maybe saying this is um, an ambition and I'm reading a bit too much into it? I think there's two answers to this. I think there's a public answer and then there's the private answer. The public answer and perspective, I would imagine, from those players, uh, you know, if, if they were crude and pushed on it is, yeah, you know, it, um, they, 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 don't, they will say they don't have a problem with it because it's all about, um, I guess, maintaining the overall uh, rugby umbrella brotherhood um, happy families uh, face in front of the media. And, you know, there's certainly a athlete-to-athlete respect that's extended. But behind closed doors, you know, you, you, you look at the culture that's been built um, within the All Blacks fraternity for the better part of the last 20 to 30 years. Um, you know, it, it's something they take very seriously and it's something you have to earn. Even the, the players that are running around, or maybe it's, it's probably maybe the last couple of years gone on the decline a little bit, but, but certainly, you know, you go back about 10 years ago, there was players that were running around for New Zealand, A, in rugby union, who um, would have made uh, the starting side of any other um, nation and certainly um, uh, put pressure on the All Blacks doing so. So, you know, th- th- there is a very, very tight culture that's been built there. Uh, will uh, rugby league players stop 
saying that, no. Um, you know, to them, they're not thinking uh, uh, as in depth, I guess, as maybe you, you may have um, put to me there, Sixties, that um, certainly not in the moment when it's put um, put to them by by reporters. And you know, I mean this respectfully. They're, they're just looking to get through the question and move on. You know, it, as Forty suggested, they're obviously trying to maximise their um, their bargaining power in the marketplace. And why wouldn't you? And um, to give uh, an answer that has a little bit more detailed thought and, and, and um, application of thought to it is probably not something that's apparent to them in that moment, um, simply because, you know, doing so can also be a little bit more committal than what they're willing to be. You, you give a throwaway line, it's not, the journal is happy because they got something to latch on to and it's a story for them next uh, couple of days uh, and something they can carry through until um, any contract is signed, whatever happens in that space. And likewise, the players achieve their outcome of um, positioning themselves in the marketplace as available um, if the bid is and, and the offer is right. So, you know, I don't think that they think anything more than it. Um, the player who's questioned on it, I, I think um, if you're a part of the All Blacks fraternity, publicly, um, you you don't make a deal about it. But um, internally, you, have, you understand the work that it took to get there and the culture that's built there and the standards that are in place there. And you know that it's not just something, uh, an environment that um, someone walks into, no matter their pedigree. It's something that's earned. Let's throw our hat in the ring now with predictions about what's going to happen. I'll kick it off. Uh, Joey Manu signs an extension with the Roosters. Yeah. Clint? Clint? Agreed. I don't see it being anything different than that. This is uh, nothing but, uh, in my personal view, a ploy to try and extract whatever dollars he can Salary cap wise and otherwise from the Roosters. I, I yes, think John. that the Roosters would be willing to move on for Tedesco at some point if it meant keeping Manu. And I, I know mm. Joey, Joey Manu isn't, you know, he, he hasn't got the, his whole career ahead of him. He's turning 28. Um, so he's not young, but he's also still very much in the prime of his physical talents. Um, so I think that he will stay. And I don't think that he might, it might precipitate an immediate move to fullback and, you know, sending James Tedesco to pasture. But 12 months down the road is a long time, and I could see a different dynamic at the Roosters in that window. Okay. Well, I think we're all in agreement there about what's likely to unfold, which now brings us to part three of our podcast, which is the preview section, and we're looking at the Parramatta Eels junior rep teams. This week, they're travelling away from the home, from home, taking on the Cronulla Sharks, down at Shark Park. John, can you kick us off with the team lists and then we'll have a bit of a chat about the games? Yeah, a quartet of games out of Points Bet Stadium, a.k.a. Shark Park, as you said, 60s, which means it starts early on Saturday, 9 o'clock a.m., kicking off with the Lisa Fiola Cup, followed by the Tashgale at 10.45, Harold Matthews at 12.30 p.m., and the SG Ball rounding out the big week or big weekend day, sorry, um, at 2.15 p.m. kickoff. Uh, so bear in mind, you can catch us on TCT for live updates or uh, New South Wales Rugby League have now expanded their live streaming services this year. Uh, New South Wales Rugby League.tv, I believe, is their URL for the live streaming platform. They're advertising over 250 games between Junior Reps and New South Wales Cup and Ron Massey Cup being streamed this year. It comes with the caveat, though, there is a two-week free trial and then a $50 subscription fee. So if you're going to uh, jump on that, uh, bear in mind there are costs involved now this year. Um, but yeah, let's start with the Lisa Fiola 60s, kicking off at 9 o'clock a.m., looking to bounce back from that big loss against the Bulldogs. They've got a couple of changes 
Um, starting at fullback again, it's Logan Lamusu, who was there last week. Nikita Eyre and Fafia uh, Freedom Crichton Rapati on the flanks. Essence Arlo returns in the centres and will be partnered with a new face in Jasmine, R- sorry, Rarari there. Uh, so Rarari comes into the starting team. Was she named at all last week? Uh, she was on the interchange last week. There, there she was. So was in the 14, now starts in the centres. In the halves, Wairia Ellis and Alia Sufan partner up. Front row, Mero Sivo and Shia uh, Thokolic with Bailey Ma Chong at dummy half. In the back row, Fontaine Tafua and Daniil Sekold, who started in the centres last week but now moves to the back row with Kalia Gray at lock forward. Uh, Annika Penatani, Leona Vey, Alia Scrivens and Anna Vave round out the interchange. Evelyn Kowendu and Shannon Latupu are the two shadow roster players, 18th and 19th players respectively. And yeah, they're taking on the Cronulla Sharks. If I quickly have a gander, uh, see if we can pull up the... They lost... Uh... Lost last week to the Tigers, twenty to eighteen. There you go. So a narrow defeat against the West Tigers, um, and we don't. It, it is very difficult to gauge individual form in this competition because we don't really know the makeup of all the squads. Um, but Eels have a chance to bounce back, and they've they've made some tweaks. But the biggest change they can make, sixties, as we alluded to in our review of the round one loss, is holding on to the football. Um, you know, just getting through their sets, getting into a rhythm, and having a chance to execute the game plan will. You know, be the biggest single improvement they can do to put them in the box seat to compete for the two points on Saturday. Yeah, I think it's, uh, and you might back me up on this, Clint, I think it's still very early in the season to uh, tip who we expect to be uh, the winner in this contest because you like to see a little bit more of a form line uh, than one game and, and certainly more of a form line than uh, when we've only seen one of the two teams in action. So it's it's not one that I'm going to give a tip on how I expect the game to go. But as you just suggested, just get the completions right. And I think it will give us a better idea if we can get above, you know, 80, if we can get around that 80% completion mark, it'll give us a bit of an idea about what the team has to offer this season. And based on how they were last year, and I know there's a number of the girls that have graduated to Tasha Gale, but based on how the Lisa Fiola players were in 2023, I think the expectations would be that they still have a a decent year this year. And the only way that's going to happen, however, is um, hold on to that ball. Yep. So, uh, Clint, anything you want to add? I, I, I couldn't add anything to that. It's the perfect sentiment. Complete the sets, hold the ball. Yeah, and one, if once the opposition they, doesn't have it, they can't do much with it. And and once they and also the Tasha Gale too, and the SG Ball, as a matter of fact, all three of those squads actually start getting for their sets. We'll have a better idea of the identity of the teams. Um, until then, if, if it does become a recurring issue, obviously it's a separate matter. But until we we get a chance to see them completing it seventy five percent, like sort of seventy five percent or better, um, it's hard to tell what sort of team they are. Are they you know, an expansive ball playing team? Are they a hard nosed, you know, ruck working team? Um, that, that identity will unfold once they can control the football. Yep. And uh, that's followed by uh, the Tasha Gale at 10.45. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's actually a bit of a break between the games because and might have something to do with broadcast of mm. the matches, yeah, I would yeah. think. Usually it's 90 minutes, isn't it? If it was a 9 o'clock start, it would be a 10.30 start in the follow game. So 
Um, yeah. Well, if even even if that, because the uh, they're only thirty minute halves, so yeah, ten thirty at the latest. So um, yes. Anyway, um, you can take us through the team list there for the Tasha Gale Cup. Yeah, like the Lisa Fiola, a couple of changes here for the Eels in the Tasha Gale. Uh, one change to the back line, Letitia Masema comes onto the wing. Uh, otherwise joined by Dallas Graham Wivell at fullback, Aisha Rain Pietes on the other flank, Caitlin Pearden and Lindsay Tui unchanged in the centres. Halves, no changes there. Rafaela Perigo and Alia Hamano at six and seven, respectively. I believe it's an unchanged eight to 13, which means it lines up like this Khaleesi Mahe and Liana Dimick in the front row, Rory Mueller at dummy half. Then you've got Michaela Bourne, Bella Sanford, and Rivalry Arlor from 11, 12, and 13, respectively. A couple of changes on the interchange. I believe Keely Stevens and uh, Loseline Sikahili weren't there last week. That's 14 and 17. But Leela Black and Dena Amena Ali were there on the interchange against the Gendry Bulldogs. So two changes there to the rotation. And then you've got Charlotte Corfon as the 18th player. Like you said, 60s kicking off at 10.45 a.m., taking on a Sharks team that actually narrowly pipped the West Tigers in the Tash Gale. I think the scoreline was 22 to 18. Um, so they'll be looking to start their campaign with a win against a team that's already banked one win. Yeah, and again, completions. Yeah. Let's just get... It, it sounds so just, generic, but that's the truth, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if we if if they're enjoying good field uh, field position, let's, let's try and get... Uh, if you don't get a result, see if you can at least get a... Um, if you can't get a repeat set, then just dab it into the corner, make it hard for the opposition to go into that yardage. So um, just that just didn't happen last week. And I know that you know, the coaches will obviously uh, of, of both of the um, pathways teams would be wanting them to lift that aspect of the performance this week. Okay, mate, the uh, Mats teams. Yeah, got a couple of good games shaping up here against Cronulla in the Harold Mats and SG Bore. I feel like we always hype up this contest because the Eels and the Sharks have had a uh, pretty entangled shared history through the junior reps in recent years. I don't think it's going to be any different in 2024. Sharks were last start winners by a good margin in the Harold Mats. I think it was 32-4, to 32-6 over the West Tigers. Uh, so very comprehensive winners there. Uh, they're taking on the Eels team who had a cracking game against the Warriors. Looking at the roster here, it's an unchanged back line, which means Cyrus Bloomfield will be the fullback. Gerald Tutula and Arima Rokosuka are on the flanks. Anders Johansson and Nathan Howlett are in the centres. Uh, unchanged in the 6 and 7 as well, Talon Rosati and Lincoln Fletcher. Uh, in fact, I think it might be the team... No, there is a change in the forward pack as named from last week. So starting front row is as named last week, bearing in mind that Ocean did start on the bench for game day, but he'll partner Ryder Tlungi in the starting front row. Ezra Leota is a dummy half. Samuel Polly is on one edge, and I believe there was a concussion in the back row uh, with Nawa, uh, which is why he's not playing this week. I mean, he might have copped a head knock at one point. So Kasinga Noah comes onto the starting edge to replace him. Mason Tasia Ong is in the lock forward position. On the interchange, Wesley Picotti, Billy Fanene, Leviticus Funa Ayuta, and then uh, Natutu Tasina Leota comes into the team. I think he was 18th man last week. Uh, and I believe he is related to the, the dummy half Ezra. And then Alma Fatanga Seve comes into the team as the 18th man. Um, yeah, the, there's a lot of great history between these two teams in the mats and the ball. I expect this to be another fantastic chapter. Um, and it might end up being a pretty pivotal game in terms of uh, finals seeding in the Harold Matthews. And that's one thing we're talking about 60s 
in regards to the Harold Matts and the SG Bore, if I just quickly pull up the ladders here, um, the SG Bore I know has 16 teams. The Harold Matthews also has has 17 teams, 60, 17. Um, surely the final series needs is expanded once again. It can't be a top five if you've got that many teams. Yeah, it's um, that, that's actually something that we hadn't sought uh, the the answer to, and um, I'm just wondering as well whether that is now uh, reflected in um, in the draw. So, um, still a, still a nine round competition. Yeah, and. Has it got? Uh, let's see. No, it hasn't got. It hasn't got the um, anything about the final series and the dates for that. So I just thought I'd I'd have a look and see what the uh, the dates were. That might have been a clue. We'll just chase that up, get an answer on that. Uh, there might be someone that knows that's listening to the podcast who gets the answer before we're able to dig it up ourselves. So uh, yeah, you'd you'd have to think so because it's with so many teams in there. And only getting to play eight of those other teams, it's um, yeah, it, it makes it very hard for teams to, uh, you know, there's going to be an element of the luck of the draw, isn't there? Mm-hmm. About the eight that you draw, because um, not too much is known about the team. They might have a rough idea about who's who apparently might have a strong team, who who might not have a strong team, but there's just so much of a great unknown that when you're only only playing eight of the other clubs, that who you're drawn to play is everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've seen it. We've seen it before where uh, you know teams might end up drawing. Uh, most of their opponents might be those that are um, up, you know, featuring in the uh, in the finals uh, placings and. Uh, um, yeah, you get you, you get a team that places, um, you know, high up in the in the finals uh, points ladder, and maybe, you know, the, the argument could be made. Well, they had a soft draw. I mean, we talk about it in the NRL, it's, don't we? Yeah, it's, it's, it's called doing a Cronulla Sharks. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, um, yeah, it, interesting to if we can get find out how many uh, teams will qualify for finals football. I wonder whether it simply comes down to getting the competition over within uh, as short a number of weeks as possible because they're able to get the, through the final series in only three weeks with the, the way that it's structured at the moment. So, And naturally the day concludes with the SG ball fixture at 2.15pm. Uh, Eels coming off a big win against the... Sorry, big win. Uh, uh, it was a comfortable win on the score in the end, but it was a lot closer than what the scoreboard reflected. Uh, against the a Warriors. Big, let's call it a big finish. A big John, finish. A That's big probably finish. probably the best way to put it. <laughs> but the ones who did have a big win were the Cronulla Sharks last week, posting a 44-18 to 18 victory over the Tigers, who are the Balmain Tigers in the SG Ball. Take that for what it is. Um, I noticed in that scorecard there, former Parramatta and then Canterbury prospect Michael Gabriel bagged a double, uh, scoring the first and third try of the game for the Sharks. Interesting to see that he's turning out in the junior reps for Cronulla there, 60s, a very talented young player. Um, and yeah, he's in a good pathway now with the Cronulla Sharks. But for the Eels, um, their team doesn't like there's too many changes from the team that conquered the Warriors. It is an unchanged backline, which means Junior Fangalele at fullback, 
Mo Alamadine and Dom Ferruja on the flanks, Dakota Kakoi and Devonte Vivella in the centres, Lorenzo Talatina, Dylan Brettel, they're your two halves. Bo Lucian, who had a couple of uh, real good charges in that game on the weekend, will start alongside Seb Piercala, who I thought was probably the pick of the players uh, in that game. He had a very good try and a very good game. Jai Camilleri, he had some flashes as well. Dummy half, he'll start again. On the flanks, Josiah Funa Ayuda, Tyrese Lakenny, may remain uh, unchanged. Max Popo was a starting lock last week, reprises that role. I think the one change I can see is on the interchange with Mark Williams, who was a uh, player in our pathways last year has finally come back whether it was an injury or something keeping him out I'm not sure but he'll start on the interchange with Lawson Moffat uh, Javon Stevenson Hala and Isaiah Murphy in support Tyson Sangalang is the 18th man once again and if I just bring up that Cronulla team because um, I, I did know there were a few players that we would know their 60s um, we're familiar with from the Cora Williams who's got a fiery temper in the centres um, and then who else was there um that's probably the big one that jumps out there. Alex Chalinor. That name rings a bell as well. So I think that might have been from the Harold Mats that I'm, I'm recalling that. Uh, but yeah, uh, Michael Gabriel and Akora Williams. It's a pretty explosive centre pairing there for the Sharks. And I imagine that might be one of their uh, focal points in attack. Yeah. Uh, you know, interesting with Michael Jabril. I reckon if he had stayed with Parramatta he would have done the NRL preseason this year. Oh, based on what we've seen at the other players, no doubt. He would have been right there. Yeah, yeah. he's that, that many of his peers that are doing uh, the preseason. So, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I guess there's a warning there. It, look, it may well be that the Sharks is where he will enjoy success and that it becomes a um, the, the right move for him to make to go from the Bulldogs to the Sharks, but I think there's a warning there that the grass isn't always greener going to other clubs. And um, it's, I mean, obviously at some point there are players who end up making a move because pathways being what they are, they're like a funnel and the opportunities as you move further towards NRL get fewer and fewer within a particular club because if you've got a successful uh, team in any one of the uh, junior grades, you're not going to have 17 players that all go through to be an NRL player at that club. It's just, it, it doesn't work that way. Um, but they may find success at other clubs. But from a development perspective, if that club is good at developing players, then it's in the interest of those players to stay, uh, providing, you know, the the contracts are right, but it's in their interest to stay with that club for the best possible period of time for themselves. And that may differ according to the player, the position that they play, whatever. And the thing is, they never know what opportunities might lie ahead because we know career-ending injuries can happen to players who look like they're entrenched at a particular club or a player might unexpectedly leave or have serious injuries. You just don't know what opportunities might come your way. Now, it just wasn't happening for Michael Jabril at the Bulldogs. Um, I don't know what the deals were with his uh, contract, but it seemed to me that he was moved on very quickly to the Sharks, and I just don't understand that because I thought he was a player out of the box yeah, when I we saw him at the... a phenomenal prospect. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was upset when Parramatta lost him. Uh, and that, that's yeah. how I'd qualify my statement there. Um, and I, it, it really boggles the mind that the dogs would just let him walk. Um, 
Yeah. I, I know it was ostensibly a player swap for Connor Tracy, uh, but I, I don't see the value of Tracy for the dogs given his age and you know the fact that he's not coming to him fully healthy being requisite with letting go of a prospect like Jabril. So I think that Cronulla, uh, unless there's something off the field that we're not aware of, which you know sometimes can be a factor in these transactions, unless there's something like that, I think they've fleeced the, the dogs. Yeah, I, I think so too. And look, it's going to be interesting to see how he goes against the Eels. You have to give a fair bit of respect to the Sharks in clocking up a, a convincing win like that. We know what sort of an attacking threat he poses. Um, look, one thing that I do want to quickly mention, I, I spoke about the big crowd that was out there at uh, Granville last week. There was also a number of boys from last year's successful SG ball team that were there to cheer on their teammates. So I'm talking about players that have either moved up to flag or even in the uh, as part of NRL uh, the NRL squad. Um, but they were out there on uh, those hot conditions on Sunday at Granville Park to to cheer on the boys that they uh, they were playing alongside last year. And I, I thought that that was a tremendous thing for the unity of the club is to have that sort of support that's there. It's uh, you often see it at the at the games. Um, uh, we we see um, uh, even uh, players who uh, moved on in in the year previously at at some of these trials. So um, uh, our our uh, fellow that we had a lot of lot have a lot of time for Arthur Miller Stephen. I've seen him out there watching the junior representative team. So it's and he's he's of course now um, out for the season, but um, he probably would have been alternating between Flegg and New South Wales Cup at the very least uh, this season. And he's uh, he was there at training as well, helping out the uh, Flegg team. Uh, when I was up there watching the other week. So uh, good unity within the club and uh, good to see that uh, players are out there encouraging their mates, uh, even though they might not be playing alongside them this year, they're getting behind them and uh, letting them know they've got their support for this year. Well, fellas, that just about brings us to the end of the podcast. How are we going for time, John? Just taking we... over an hour 18. Look, I think that's pretty solid with a preview. Four-game junior rep preview. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, as usual, we couldn't do what we do without our great sponsors, Star Partners, Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta, and, of course, Big Swing Golf there at North Mead. If you want to get together with your mates and and uh, enjoy some uh, some simulated golf games which allow you to keep your the practice your strokes and your your swing and uh, a range of other sports there uh, they're there for you know could be a, a after work function a corporate function whatever you like um, get there and enjoy that and uh, of course our our thanks to paraleagues for their support of our coverage of the junior representative season and when we're talking about our previews of those matches, we can't help but thank uh, Paraleagues for getting behind what we do with the junior representative team. So thank you to uh, all of our partners. Uh, thank you, of course, to all of you listeners. Again, uh, 
special thanks to those people who take the time to get out and get in uh, get in touch with us. Uh, it, it's really fantastic when we get that sort of feedback. John, Clint, you've done well, lads. You've done exceptionally well this podcast. Uh, looking forward to speaking with you again next week. And as I always say, go you mighty eels. <laughs>